it wasn't like a Marriott hotel room where you can just switch people when something happens. And if somebody comes in and completely destroys a house, I mean, we had one lady back a U-Haul up and take everything, the sofa, the mattresses, like all the decor. That was a lot to try and get it back to where it needed to be for the next guest. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I am here with Abby Shank. Abby Shank is the CEO of Tiny Estates, and she was actually a guest on the podcast a few years ago when Tiny Estates was one of or the biggest tiny community in the world. Um, Things have definitely shifted. Abby is an entrepreneur at heart, and she has continued to kind of evolve and and change and tiny estates is now a place where people own their own tiny homes and uh, she's looking at creating new communities but one of the issues that she ran into is that she needed a way to quickly get good quality tiny homes so she has actually partnered with a couple of different companies and is now trying her hand at at being essentially a tiny house builder though she's not building them herself we will talk all about that but it's a pretty interesting business model and an interesting company and i think it's it's definitely worth giving it a listen and and also taking a look uh so i hope you stick around for my interview with abby shank i'd like to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode precision temp precision temp is making one product to solve two issues that i know everyone deals with in a tiny house running out of hot water, and heating your tiny house. Precision Temp has made the amazing Twin Temp Junior propane tankless water heater, which provides unlimited hot water for your tiny house and hydronic heating. This means you get warm, heated floors so there are no cold spots. It's designed specifically for tiny houses and features whisper-quiet operation as well as high efficiency. If you want more information on how Precision Temp can help make living tiny easier, and more comfortable, visit precisiontemp.com. While you're there, use the coupon code THLP for $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping. That website again is precisiontemp.com, coupon code THLP for $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping. Thank you so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show. All right. I am here with Abby Shank. Abby Shank is the CEO of Tiny Estates and Live Tiny. Tiny Estates is a tiny home resort where owned tiny homes surround two ponds on the 14-acre property. Live Tiny is an entity selling tiny home builds across the country. Abby saw a demand for better quality tiny homes with a quicker build time and set out to do just that. With almost a decade of experience in the tiny home industry, Abby is eager to provide a better quality build and living experience through her homes and communities. Abby Shank, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Ethan. Yeah, it's great for you to be here. So I think when we spoke last, um, Tiny Estates was was on the newer side of thing. I think at the time we were like, it's the biggest tiny house community in the world. I don't know if it is <laughs> anymore. Um, but um, can you can you give us some updates? Like what, you know? Yeah, at the, at the time it was, I think for rentals, we, we grew to a size with rentals that I think we were the largest for, for nightly rentals. And then when we switched during COVID to be an owner community, I think that changed. I know there's a lot of different tiny house communities and it probably depends on whether they're all on wheels or if they all are true tiny homes in their square footage size being smaller. Because I know a lot of communities do 
modulars as well or allow RVs. So that's a little harder to articulate, you know, who's the largest where. But we're still very proud of, you know, the fact that we're all tiny homes in a community where people can come together and and be of, you know, differing mm-hmm. backgrounds and, and mindsets, but all still kind of come together on the tiny house journey and and owning their tiny house at a at a park like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. So what is the current status of tiny house of tiny estates? Is it is it like a residential only community or like what how does that all work? So we're still zoned to campground. It can't be a primary residence. We switched so that we don't have the nightly rentals and function like a hotel the way we used to. That was more of a try before you buy type experience. But we're now owner occupied so folks can own their house and place it there. But they do have to still Mm -hmm. follow that 181 day occupancy rule, mostly because in a mobile home park, you're going to pay property taxes on your unit and things like voter registration and driver's license. That's kind of where it gets tricky. So as long as they abide by that 181 day rule, a lot of people, you know, it's a getaway. It's their spot because they're originally from PA, but they're traveling. Mm-hmm. They come to visit family. You know, everybody's kind of a different situation of, of why they're there and why they own Tiny. But everybody kind of comes together and weekends are usually busiest because obviously people are coming from all over to, to occupy their yeah. Tiny house. Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, I think last time we talked a lot about like navigating that spaghetti of of zoning and laws to try to even get something like tiny estates to happen at all. I'm sure that that whole campground thing, like, I'm sure you'd love to change it, but like, what have you run into hurdles trying to like turn it into like a full-time thing? Yeah, we've spoken to the township and they're, I think, just as eager as we are to make it into more of like a mobile home park. The way it works now, people pay lot rent very comparably to that. As long as they abide by that rule, their house can stay there. They just can't personally occupy it um, more than that time. Mm-hmm. So the the big sticking point is a mobile home park follows a code as far as building structure is concerned. And because we started out so early in the tiny house movement, a lot of our tiny homes don't need you know, a NOAA certificate to be ANSI certified or they weren't built to any standard. And so because of that, it's really hard for the township to guarantee that it meets the build code. And without meeting a build code, it can't be a resident. So it can be transient and they would love to switch over, but we're still trying to articulate how they could find a code that some of the older houses could meet or if they could possibly duly zone us so that we could have some that are and some that aren't and slowly phase in that opportunity for people. You know, obviously everybody wants that. It's money for the township, but it makes it easier for the folks who own. But coming up with some of those fixes is the problem. Ah, uh, growing pains. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I've been Airbnb my tiny house now since May. It's going really well, but I um I have like a whole new level of respect for what you were doing when when they were <laughs> short-term rentals, because like managing one is is plenty of work. I can only imagine what managing like 50 <laughs> is like. <laughs> Yeah. And we always said, I think Airbnb is a great platform and I think people would have success for one or two, but because they were all so unique, that's really why during COVID we decided to yeah. pivot. It was more a lifestyle choice. You know, everybody loved it and, and it was going very well, but with each house being so unique and that was the draw of the tiny houses, it wasn't like a Marriott hotel room yeah. where you can just switch people when something happens. And if somebody comes in and completely destroys a house, I mean, we had one lady back a U-Haul up and take everything, the sofa, the mattresses, like all the decor. And that's something in a matter of, you know, three hour cleaning window, you can't just, we stock things, but that was a lot to try and get it back to where it needed to be for the next guest. So that became a bit of a hassle during COVID when people expected cleaner, but they had been so cooped up that I think that it was more that like spring bake mentality that 
they came and they were ready to go. And so things were left worse and then expected to be cleaner. And that's kind of when we decided to pivot. Yeah. Wow. The tiny house. It's so minimal. It doesn't even have a sofa. <laughs> it's nothing. But you sit is... on the floor and you have no dishes. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. they, by the way, they ripped your countertops out. Yeah. It would have been an interesting experience. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, I have a security camera on my, on my tiny house. So anybody listening who's thinking about coming in and stealing my couch, <laughs> actually it's bolted to the floor. So you, you can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so when we spoke last time, you definitely talked about, you know, wanting to kind of repeat this model or look at tiny communities or, or whatever you want to call them in, in other states and other places. Have, has that been something that you've continued to pursue? It is. And that's kind of how our build company started. So the long and the short mm -hmm. of everything is that we loved what we were doing at Tiny Estates, whether it be rentals or be owners. I think there's a demand for both. We found that a big problem was a lot of the quality builders are just small scale and that they're great craftsmen, mm -hmm. but they're local to their town. And so they're doing 10, maybe 15 houses a year, which is wonderful yeah. business for them. But for us in building a community is really difficult to scale, knowing that we're going to you know, set up a park that might have 100 lots. That takes a long time to be able to really cash flow and to really be able to fill it if builders can only do such a limited demand and they have such a long wait list. And so because of that, we really wanted to fix the build problem first and find a quality product that we knew we could stand behind and not necessarily require at all of our parks, but that if somebody came in and they wanted a lot, there was something ready to go for them. Uh, if they wanted that, yeah. whether that be something we provided as a long-term rental until their house was ready, or that they truly could just buy and place on a site to move more quickly. That uh, you know, builders can still build for people in our parks. Our park is still very much builders across the country, which is great. I think we learn mm -hmm. a lot from seeing other people's product and knowing what people want to improve and what things we could change and trying to really move the industry forward. Um, and so in, in looking to do other communities, that was our goal was to solve the builds. And now that we feel like we have a product that we can build much more quickly and that we can scale with, we're looking for the land to do other properties. So we're actually partnering with someone in Tennessee, uh, looking at a place in Florida. There's a place in Texas as well. California is a huge demand all the time. So that's always kind of on our radar. But I know there's demand yeah. pretty much in every state that we would love to find the right land to, to go after. It's really just zoning that always tends to hold things up. Yes, yes. and and. My limited knowledge, I, I I know that like whether you're running it as like a short-term rental or a campground versus like full-time living, those are like three different categories and three different sets of laws. Right. And of course, in every state, the laws are different yeah. and it makes it tricky as we look in different locations. A lot of people will call and say, I want to do a community. I'll back you, which is great. But we don't obviously know the intricacies of zoning in every single state. So it takes a lot of time. People say, yep. well, it should be yep. much quicker. And I, I wish it was. But unfortunately, all good things take time. And if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. So we're still working on it. But I think the builds will help us scale quickly. When we find the right properties, we'll be able to build them out a lot quicker than originally we would have been able to. Yeah. And and you've already touched on this a little bit, but um, I'll, I'll ask the question directly. I mean, it, it seems like there are so many new tiny house builders cropping up all the time. Like I've long ago stopped trying to like keep track of knowing what tiny house builders are out there. But um, kind of you talked about kind of the demand, you know, your own almost internal demand for tiny houses um, from from an external perspective. What, you know, 
what's different about the tiny houses that you're partnering on or what, you know, how do, how, how do you see them differentiated from, you know, all the other tiny house builders out there? Right. And there's a ton of great builders. I don't think that we're, you know, in any way doing something crazy novel. We're still a tiny house. Like you can go to a lot of other builders for, but we're doing a few things differently. Uh, The way that we're building is a plywood stud rather than a two by four, which we've actually patented. So we've partnered with Atomic, who does the manufacturing for things like the Super Bowl, WWE, a lot of big, large-scale productions. And so their capacity for manufacturing, as well as their experience in that realm, has been very beneficial. They've always done massive productions that they then pare down and take across the country. So the transport of things, the mobility, the quality of what they do, but the speed with which they can do it is is key in how we're building. And so all of our plywood studs are cut on a CNC machine. And that allows it all to be fit together like puzzle pieces. So one of the big things we noticed with other builders was expansion and contraction. And that was a big problem because not only do you see a lot of bad tolerances, there's, you know, things in the corners where they just throw a bunch of caulk in it to make it look like it matches. But that's going to be an issue with heating and cooling. That's going to be an issue for bugs, obviously moisture. So it causes a lot of issues that aesthetically aren't pleasing, but also, you know, behind the walls is a problem. Mm -hmm. And because our plywood studs allow for a much better tolerance and fit together so well, things like levels aren't really even necessary Mm -hmm. because it all fits together so specifically and can be put together a lot quicker. So from start to finish in just a matter of weeks, we can do a house. We can do 40 houses a month in our current warehouse. And as we grow, can do other warehouses to do more. So we're at about 500 houses a year. Wow. In, in scalability with our current space in Elizabethtown, which is right down the street from our community. Amazing. And then there's lots of other little things. You know, we noticed key traps that were freezing in other builders' homes and just little, you know, details that after having rented for so long, we noticed things that would go wrong that we've tried to fix with our builds. Condensation lines for the heating and AC would be run through the walls. And so if somebody needed a new unit, they had to have all their walls torn out to have that fixed. So we've made sure that all those condensation lines are not within the walls of the house, but that you don't have to have this ugly tubing outside your house to look at either. So aesthetically, again, mm-hmm. it's pleasing, but it's also fixing that problem of down the road, what's going to go wrong. And every house comes with a full home warranty. So they have a 24-7 number when they buy a house that they can call. Mm-hmm. That was one big thing that builders, you know, they build a house, they'd ship it across the country. And if something went wrong, it could just be that you know, a cute old lady bought it to retire. She doesn't know a ton about how things work. There's no batteries in the mini split remote. And she thinks it's broken. Obviously, the builder doesn't want to fly from California to PA to come fix it when there's not really anything wrong. But how do they go about that? And do they have a network for repairs? And so we've created a home warranty system that is truly a network across the country, regardless of where the home goes, that they can call 24-7, you know, plumbers, electricians, whatever that may be, to have things quickly fixed or quickly, you know, addressed so that they know how to work the house and how things should be done in order to prevent a lot of costs for us as the builders, but also a lot of headache for the client that's buying the house. Nice. And um, you were kind of talking a little bit about like the the ventilation, the insulation. How how are these homes insulated? The R value is R23. So they have rock wool in the walls. And they have a zip R on the exterior. Awesome. So they have a moisture barrier. They have a full vapor barrier as well and a continuous steam. So you're not going to notice things kind of coming through. Unfortunately, I've had a lot of tiny houses that I connected that had plumbing leaks and you saw it run through the edge of the trailer between the house and the trailer. And so 
You won't see that. Not that you want your house to start filling up with water, but obviously the continuous steam means a lot less things like bugs and loss of heating and cooling. And it's a lot more efficient that way. Yeah. And so does that R23 include the zip R or is that just what's in the wall? It does include the zip R. Now we can upgrade that to even more if somebody wants. Mm -hmm. We have an all weather package if someone's going to be in a very, very cold climate. And we've actually tested for wind speed and weight load capacity, the plywood studs, and they do far better than two by fours, which was one of the primary reasons we wanted to go that way. So things like snow load on the roof have been tested. So it's not just going to stay warm in your house, but you also know if you're in an area that gets a ton of snow that you don't have to worry about how that impacts your house and how it will hold up. Send one up to me in Vermont. I'll test it out for you. We'd be happy to. I would love to see how it goes. Get your feedback. Even yeah. insulating the trailers. Yeah. That was one big thing in PA. People always complained they were so cold on their feet that we wanted to make sure that that R23 value is also in the floors so that people mm-hmm. don't notice, you know, heating and cooling issues in the really cold trailer. Definitely. And then speaking of heating and cooling, are are you using heat pumps for that or are there other options? Yeah, typically our houses have mini splits. Um, the head unit is on like a picture window, so it, it heats yep. and cools the whole house. And then there's a temperature sensor for an air circulation system that'll bring the, the heat to the bedroom or to whatever is on the other side of the home. In a really long, you know, 40 foot, we would do two head units. But a lot of people have wanted things like heat stoves too. Um, we can definitely do like a wood stove if somebody wants something like that. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about the sponsor for today's show, Precision Temp. One of the hardest things about being in my tiny house in the winter is that the floors are really cold. And I could have solved that problem by adding more insulation, but the reality is that a tiny house on a trailer is always going to have cold floors or much colder floors than you're used to if you are coming from a house that has a basement or is even built on a slab. So the Precision Temp Twin Temp Junior Propane Tankless Water Heater can actually help solve this problem because you can install heated floors in your house and you can do it with the same appliance that provides you with unlimited hot water. So the Twin Temp Junior really does solve two issues with one appliance, which let's be honest, in a tiny house, space matters, cost matters, and just being more intentional. So you get to use one appliance for two purposes. Right now, Precision Temp is offering $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping when you use the coupon code THLP at checkout. Head over to their website, precisiontemp.com, for more information on how Precision Temp can help make tiny living easier and more comfortable. And while you're there, be sure to use the coupon code THLP for $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping. Thanks so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show. Nice. And um, in terms of ventilation, is there a, a house ventilation system that you're including? There is. Yep. So we have a whole home circulation system and then ventilation as well. So everything's no inspected to make sure that everything is, is done correctly and built correctly, which we're very proud of, you know, the quality, but also want to make sure that things are not going to be an issue for clients down the road. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I'm impressed because I think that it's, it's rare that a builder, um, has as much experience dealing with tiny homes as you do, um, especially from the rental side of things where I would say the houses are getting used a bit harder. You know, the like renters aren't always, short-term renters in particular, aren't always like taking 
the utmost of care of, of, of a house while they're there. Hopefully they do, but they don't always. Yeah, typically not so much. And so you definitely see what wears and tears quickly, but also what's not just known or necessarily user friendly things like even TVs, which aren't tiny house specific, but you put metal siding on the house. Are you going to get cell phone signal and Wi-Fi in the house and thinking through things like that, running conduit in the walls so that you can get boosters in the house if necessary, because a lot of people like that metal look, but we had a lot of trouble with that in some of our houses and nobody wants to drill through a brand new house to get an ethernet cable in. So making sure you think about it before atomic has always prided itself in making all the mistakes at the beginning. Obviously, no one does anything without mistakes, but they do it before they cut. So it's never an issue for the client. We'll spend three hours talking about a cabinet and how to make that cabinet perfect because we want to make sure it doesn't become a problem. So sometimes maybe it's overkill and it's too much thought into one thing. Obviously, you learn when you do things, but the way that they articulate their build and how they cut it so precisely and have a true system for how everything's done is the reason that we're able to scale Mm -hmm. so quickly. Um, and build houses in such a precise manner that's also still such a high quality. Nice. So um, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. I kind of tripped myself up, but there's there's Live Tiny, there's Live Connected, and then there's Atomic. And I know, I understand that Atomic is the manufacturer. Can you untangle Live Tiny and uh, Live Connected for me? Yeah. So Live Connected is actually the reason that a lot of this started. Live Connected is the design firm that came from, it's actually called DXA. So all of the companies have like their original parent company, which gave them their experience in the industry. Um, Atomic being those that do the sets and manufacture their atomic homes for these purposes. Um, DXA is the architects in New York that design full-time. And so Live Connected is their tiny house Mm. division of design. And then Tiny Estates being our community is live tiny for the sales purposes of these houses. And we don't do that to make it confusing, but obviously the legalities of doing something similar but different, we all kind of had to pivot. But ultimately, Live Connected started because of a request for information for the state of Texas and a request to change up FEMA housing and do something that would be better. And so they did what we call the Connectus House, which is a tiny home, but it's foundational. And so it can be set up in a matter of four to six hours and it's built in our warehouse, tiny home, like what you would expect starts at 500 square feet and goes up to about 2000, but then can be put on a property long-term and truly foundationalized. And in doing that, I was brought in to kind of look at connections and how things go and said, well, we have a huge demand for something similar. Would you do trailer based? And then we call our via everything that's on a trailer, which would be the tiny home as you and I know it, in which you you know, now Airbnb and you lived in. So we can do both, but there's a huge demand in the national disaster relief sector, especially with things like what happened in Florida, that people want to quickly get into something that they feel like is home, but maybe aren't always going to be able to live in a tiny house. And so we're looking to create houses that are HUD certified, which is unique for the industry. And obviously something I think a lot of builders are working towards, but build something that would be HUD certified that we could take, that people could live in, after a disaster, and then rebuild a city with the more foundational product because there's a little more site planning that goes into foundationalizing. But that kind of allows for the temporary and the yeah. permanent, depending on what the person would like. Yeah, the Connexus is beautiful. I'm I'm looking at some photos of it, and you know, I think that there there is demand in the tiny house world for foundation based small houses, and these are you know 500 to 800 square feet, so maybe not tiny in some people's sense of the word, but 
um, still quite a bit smaller than than an average American house. And and they look again, you know, they're built in that same way in that modular factory build where you get that that quality build. Right. And one of the huge upsides to tiny houses, I think, is the ability to transport them without all the special permits and licensing. And when you build a Conexus house, it's put on a single trailer for transport. So there isn't this massive load with a whole bunch of pieces the way a normal modular home would Mm -hmm. come to you. So it's a lot more accessible to certain remote properties and a lot easier to bring onto a property and build in such a short time. So we like to say that you could be in your house by dinner time the same day that it's brought. Now, um, at the risk of getting too nerdy on the on the codes and, and legal stuff, are those Conexus homes built, are those park models or are they like HUD code? They would be HUD. They would be more permanent. Wow. I mean, I've... And then the VIA houses on trailers would be more park models. Okay. My understanding that me is that meeting HUD code is actually quite difficult and, and rigorous. It is. And it's frustrating because right now HUD says that 320 square feet is the requirement. So a 40 foot house is really required to meet HUD. And obviously a lot of people want a smaller, tiny house, but we're, we're working on that. We're working to make our plywood stud something that will be written into HUD, similar to the way SIP panels had been. There's an inspection agency that's nationally recognized that has been out to our warehouse to try and figure out how we can progress that. And I've talked to Lindsay Wood and some others in the tiny house realm of how can we work to get all builders in a, in a realm that makes that possible for people? Because I think HUD would be a very easy way for people to get their houses into townships that aren't currently allowing them. So that's definitely the way that I think the industry is moving and something that we're working towards. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I, it's funny, I just like learned about HUD code recently. Wow, this this totally exists and it's like almost what we need. Right. It's so close. I mean, the lofts, I think, are still going to be a little tricky, but hopefully it's, yeah. it's close enough that we can make it work with the right people behind it. Right, right. Um, now, one of the the major hurdles that that people face, especially when they're, you know, buying a, a tiny home, you know, a pre-built tiny home versus doing a self-build is, you know, is the financing. And it's it's kind of one of the, I see it as a paradox of the tiny house world, which is that like, these houses are really affordable, except you can't get normal loans for them. And so therefore you need a, a, more money up front to buy them. And then they're not affordable because of that. So what? What's happening uh, in the financing department uh, of Live Tiny? And that was a big thing for us too. And and having a build company was having something that is more affordable. Everybody talks about the affordability of tiny homes, and I think especially with the cost of materials right now, it's not very mm-hmm. likely that the prices are going to come down. But if you can do it over a standard conventional term, you're at least getting equity in something. So I don't think anybody wants to pay for a tiny house or a standard house for 25 or 30 years. But the ability to do that, especially when you're starting out or when you're retiring, knowing that you're at least getting equity rather than throwing it at rent is critical. And so we have a lender that's based out of PA that's licensed in 16 different states that will lend. That's typically our go-to. But then we also work with 21st Mortgage because they can lend in every state. Yep. The drawback of that is that because it's more like a park model, they require it to be placed on the property for the person to have it ready to go more in a sense, or we like to look at it as more of an RV where we're selling it on the dock. But there are two lenders that we typically work with that are conventional terms. So typically in this market, it's between six and 8% mm-hmm. on a 25 year term, and then between five and okay. 10% down. So a lot more affordable. Our base house would be about $500 a month. That's amazing. For, for like a 20 or 25 year mortgage. 
Right. So again, nobody wants to pay for it for 25 years, but they're at least getting that equity if they do. And they can do shorter terms, which actually becomes better rates as well. But a lot of people starting out, they figure, you know what, I'll do that for five years. And when I sell it, I'll get all that back as equity. And every house that we've sold at Tiny Estates has gone for the same, if not more than what it was built for, especially with the cost of building materials now. So I think a lot of people are realizing that tiny homes are true assets that they're getting the value out of like you would a standard house as long as it's well maintained. Yeah. And that is that is a little bit different because I think there's been a lot of um, this question about like what the resale market is for tiny houses. I guess you have sold um, several houses at this point before doing Live Connected, but I just mean houses that were at, at tiny estates. Do you feel like there was a point in time where things shifted and, and tiny homes like stopped depreciating and started kind of holding their value? Yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen a time where they were depreciating per se. And especially considering we had them as rentals, the used market was really good, at least for as long as we've we've been selling. But I would yeah. say when we started in 2018, a 24 foot was probably 50 to 60,000. Now it's more like 90,000. And that sticker shock is wow. usually a lot for people, but that's also the cost of housing, the cost of materials now. And the ability to finance them and insure them and a lot has evolved in the industry. So we've seen that that has increased. I mean, we have some builders that are going back to clients saying, well, if you're looking to move, I'll buy the house I built you two or three years ago and buy it for more than you paid for it, which is crazy to me. But the builder knows they can come in, touch up a few things and sell it for what's now far higher and that they are still warranting and certifying their same work rather than build something totally new. So there's definitely a market wow. for the used homes as the market evolves. That's really interesting. I've, I haven't seen that myself, but I believe you. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to me. You know, they know we have one person who sold their house or bought their house for 75000 three years ago and the builder just offered them eighty, which is kind of crazy. I mean, obviously, when you live in a normal house, you oftentimes sell it for more than you bought it for. So it's kind of yeah. progressing with normal housing which is great because a lot of people have said, oh, it won't last. It'll be like a car. You know, it'll depreciate as soon as it's the day after it's new, as soon as you buy it. But we have definitely not seen that when we pivoted from rentals to owners, we sold all the houses that we had as rentals. And they all, like I said, have sold for the same, if not more than they were built for, which is crazy. I mean, I'm I'm really happy to hear that. And I think that that's like further differentiation of tiny homes from, from RVs and campers is that, you know, it's, it's, pretty rare to sell an RV or a camper for more than you bought it for. I think they tend to depreciate pretty heavily like a, like a car would. Um, so I'm really happy to hear that the tiny homes are appreciating. Yeah. It's, it's nice to know that the industry for tiny homes is evolving in that way. Uh-huh. And I think just the quality alone speaks to that because if you have an RV, I don't think you would drive it off the lot and still have the value. And I think you would notice a lot of those things like bugs and you know, insulation value. A lot of people say if you took an RV apart, you would never be able to put it back together. Right. Where in a tiny house, if you decided, you know, you wanted to renovate the floors or the walls, you could do that the way you would in a typical home. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause it, you know, they are at the end of the day, they are built like, like typical homes, but it, you know, I think that these factory builds and I've seen, you know, there are many, there are other companies doing modular factory builds. And I think that, that for some reason that is seen you know, in the traditional home world as somehow being lesser than. But I think that, you know, building in a factory with a perfectly, perfectly flat floor, perfect weather, 
um, it's it's actually preferable as a building location. Yeah, you have less delays due to construction, and you know that the materials haven't been tarnished or you know experienced any issues. Yeah, I think there's a lot to say for how well the house holds up and how quickly it can be built because of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, oftentimes with the kind of systemization, the 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 factory model, the the ability to customize kind of gets less. How much customization? is possible for somebody who's, who's, you know, thinking about buying one of these homes. We can do a full custom design the way that we're building because it's cut on the CNC. It takes a little bit longer for the design file Mm -hmm. to be truly complete. So we would work with the design team to do the rendering the way a normal builder would give you the file that you can kind of virtually walk through. And then from there, it takes about four weeks to do the file for how it would be cut and ready to build. Um, that's just so that we know that all the pieces and parts are truly going to fit together the way that we need. And we can give a true price based on how long it will take and, and give better metrics if it is truly custom. Now, a lot of our floor plans are very easily changed or upgraded. And so things like as a house gets bigger, you want to add a pantry or an island. Those aren't really custom in our mind. Mm-hmm. They're you know alterations to an existing layout. But if somebody wants a completely different layout or floor plan, that is something we can do. We just have to have the design time for the files. All right, we're back. We had uh, some slight internet issues, I think, on both ends. So hopefully, um, hopefully that'll be cleared up now. And Abby, you've actually moved into the factory, yeah? I have. So hopefully you don't hear any background noise on me. I apologize. I was actually out in a tiny house in the parking lot. So internet's not as great out there because the house obviously is not connected in a park or anything like that. But thought maybe that would be quieter and you never know what you're going to get when you do that. So my apologies. <laughs> That's okay. Plus I, I got to see a little bit of the house. So that was, that was cool too. Exactly. Um, so you mentioned kind of the scalability of this and, and the speed. What's the current kind of lead time of, of Live Connected slash Live Tiny? If someone were to come in today and want to place an order, we could have a house for them in a matter of a month. So nice. it really just depends on you know how quickly they're looking. Most people don't need it that fast, and they'll come in and say, "Hey, could I have it this coming February or March?" Yep. Um, but a lot of our orders are also kind of flexible, so we can always move things around. But we can do about forty houses in a month in our current warehouse, so we can definitely quickly scale if somebody comes in and they need a bunch for a park or something mm-hmm. like that. We're able to very quickly put them on the floor and get them what they need. Nice. Well, um, it's been really great catching up with you. Uh, you know, I'll encourage people to check out um, your first interview as well to hear more about kind of your entrepreneurial journey and and setting up um, tiny estates. Um, but you know, what what's next for you? What what is what's kind of the next thing that you're that you're most excited about? I think starting more communities is definitely our goal. So for those who are looking for an investment, whether they have capital and they want to do a community or they've got land that they think is great for it, we would love to hear from you. Um, We're also trying to connect park owners with those who want to do homes. A lot of people are interested in tiny homes as an investment and they want to Airbnb one, but they don't have the property for it. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of community owners that would love to have tiny homes that are higher end for their park that would love to kind of pair those folks together as well. So whatever the interest is, whether that's to live in or to invest, um, we're definitely looking to build out communities and give people the opportunity to to own and be a part of that journey with us. So anyone interested, we would definitely recommend that they reach out to us. Fantastic. Well, Abby Shank, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you so much to Abby Shank for returning to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. 
You can find lots of photos of some of my favorite live tiny homes, a transcript of this episode, and of course, a link to Abby's first episode or first interview on the show over at thetinyhouse.net slash 234. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 234. Well, that is all for this week's show. I am your host, Ethan Waldman, and I will be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.